really making it across the line again. Yeah. Uh, so my internet service is down the, the cable. Is that called cable internet? Or what do you call it? Yeah. Oh, do people still have that? I don't know. <laughs> Just yeah, kidding, we I'm don't kidding. have Fios in a building. It, it, yeah, it's funny. I think New York has so many legacy issues with the, all the pipelines under and, and sewage and all that stuff. No, I'm definitely living in a bubble. I've been plugging into fiber. Like, I have Ethernet in my house, and I just plug into that. Um, I've been doing yeah. that for 15 years. But <laughs> so <laughs> Good how luck often do you York. have out- outages? <laughs> um, I did have an outage once this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very infrequent. Well, yeah. I, I but, mean, maybe for me, it's once or twice a year. Yeah. 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 When it happens, it's like, oh, like, I checked the status page, and it really is out. Um, well, now we're now we're on. A, I'm tethering to my phone, so there is the. I think everybody now can, when your cable, yeah. when your regular home internet is out, you still have a backup. Most yeah. people, yeah. And, and even if uh, I just, I feel like we're in that era, right? Like, have you heard about you know Elon Musk um, has this other company that does uh, satellite internet, Starlink? Yeah, yeah. And uh, even that's like pretty reliable, unless there are trees around. And you're in a rural place where it's designed to work. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. it's actually hard to get a reliable <laughs> signal from that. No idea. Yeah, it's not here. It's not an option in the city. But um, yeah, I, I see the FiOS trucks everywhere all the time. You see them working on something, but I don't know anyone with FiOS. So. Well, it can sometimes feel like we're like moving really quickly and making a lot of progress, and uh, and yet uh, just has you know someone has to spill a can of coke on. The circuit board or something and yeah millions of people well and not, not only that then you can wonder is it progress if you're trapped at home because you have to work all day on zoom and is that a better life so like wow my connection is really fast but it's not so fun mm. yeah. the gift yes the gift of no internet potentially is <laughs> yeah exactly all i want for christmas yeah. i was just watching um snl before we got yeah on there, exactly which i do they, they canceled half the show it was very weird, like weirder than at any other point in the pandemic. Um, like they seemed like they just came up with the idea to continue, like literally 30 seconds before they started recording. Yeah, um, it's crazy. It, yeah, it really like just in terms of, um, you know, we're at the end of the year. So I suggested maybe we just do a, you know, kind of a stream of consciousness look back at the year. But if we go back to our, our look back last year, we were just we're deciding not boat, to eh? do... Well, we were deciding not to do movie reviews. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let up with the movie review stuff. Let's move on. And then um, people are like, I miss the movie reviews. Yeah, and we were also talking about how excited we were that the pandemic was going to be over because we had vaccines. It had been a big breakthrough. Yeah. And uh, and here we are, and the vaccines are here, and we're still in, in, in I don't think situation. the vaccines so. worked as well as we hoped. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about to come down to New York, though. That's a big difference. I wouldn't even consider that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. So you, are you still uh, you still planning to come? Yeah, we're going to go down to D.C. on Wednesday, and then um, we'll swing back up through New York on our way home in time for New Year. Is it New Year's or New Year? I, th- I feel like it's New Year, right? <laughs> um, yeah, New Year's Eve. Yeah, but then if you just say for the new year, I think it's just one year, you know. So well, I think New Year's 
Like with an S, you're implying that night, and then the new year is all of 2022. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to be up there for both. Yeah. And uh, when are you finally moving to, to New York? It's a, yeah, it's a good, good call, good call out. Because no, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it, 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 you know, this is a recurring theme on the podcast, but the internet and progress and all this stuff promises like, oh, you can work from the beach. You can work from the North Pole, wherever you want to be. But then you have a mortgage, you have a house, you have family. It's pretty comfortable. Toronto is not bad. You have some connection. And, 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 you know, Kristen has her job and it's tied to the city. Yeah. And so in theory, you could be like, let's work from Japan for a year. And let's work from well, Costa Rica yeah. for a year. This is the year, though, I think I decided that I'm pretty good at this remote work thing or not. Or maybe it's near the end of the year where I was just like, especially the last three months in a new job where I was like, this is not bad. This is actually good. I'm working with a team, you know, that's scattered all over the world, but I don't feel like it's like misery. Um, so and you're right. I had one of my one of my team was traveling like they were from France one week, then they're in Belgium, then they were in Vancouver, then they stopped by Toronto to have dinner with me. And it was like. I started to see a picture of the future that was a bit different than we have now. I think I was in remorse or like mourning like a previous way of working, like getting everyone together. <clears throat> but I'm totally over that now. And um, and it's the thing, even traveling into the pandemic, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to like mask up and get my tests. Like, it's like I'm a, like a space pirate or something. I'm like, got to put the uh, old astronaut suit on if I'm going to go to the uh, Beezlebub bar. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but, but, but there's a whole bunch I'm of things sure that were abnormal that seem normal now. But, but it, I'm sure it came up with you and Kristen, this sort of uh, evaluation of where you want to spend your future. And you guys decided mm. not to have kids. And that's usually a decision you take because you want some freedom because kids kind of yeah, Thanks for having us. <laughs> what? that's true we've been no I, i'm just kidding i was like thanks for adding us but uh, we've been i've been pretty public about that on the podcast i think oh I, sorry I, well, I I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat i'm just saying i didn't know this was a taboo I, you know but no i don't think it is a taboo but no but what i'm saying it, is often uh people in theory don't want to be tied down but then in practice like, yeah 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 you're that's yeah. a good point and usually it's and, like some kind of financial constraint or job or yeah. no 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 it, it, my point is maybe like because we're looking back the year, but we could also look back 10 years because we were both traveling a lot more before. And maybe mm -hmm. that's the point I'm getting at that whether you have kids or not, like a lot of artists decide to live a more free life because nomadic life. Yeah. Yeah. And residencies and not being tied down yeah. by objects and being more focused on experiences. And especially you as a performance artist and all this stuff. Totally. So maybe the, what I'm getting at is that the one year review this year is not so different from last year, but maybe the 10 year reviews like where, mm. do you know what, does that make any sense? Yeah. I think it's a huge, there's a huge difference on this one year review though. Like looking back, the ability for you to be a digital first artist this year, you know, and to sustain a life. Uh, doing yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Broke through some major barriers and not only that politically, Artists, like I remember running on a residency a few years ago. It was called Artist, The Artist Entrepreneur. Um, I did it at Praxis in Norway. And I recruited all of these artists and I, I made sure that there was like, you know, good representation, not just all Norwegian artists, but um, there were some Americans, Canadians. And 
the Norwegian artists were like, you know, it, like I just could not. It was like I was shaking <laughs> them to be like, this is the future. Like the future I know. is. It, it, it's, it, this was the year <laughs> where all the stuff that we were like, look, this is the new way. This is the future. And everybody's like, please don't bother me. We, we just want to hang paintings in the gallery. We don't want to be bothered <laughs> with cables and Wi-Fi connection problems and graphics cards and webcams and get out of here with that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, let me let me just get back on my wheel and start spinning some pots here. But like, I, yeah. I, I think um, I you know, and I've had conversations all year long, and then even as, especially in the last two months, where people are like it's just like such a dream to talk t- about this, and like th- this is our time. We have to you know rise up and take the platforms back. Like, there's this political energy that I yeah. felt like I couldn't muster from. And I'm not. This is not me like complaining about artists, um, but it was like. The traditional art world was like, yeah, we're fine. You know, it's like, but <laughs> it's like the, you know, I, I think you know. it, like the macro view for me is that uh, a big part of doing internet art was the mobility. And that mm-hmm. what the irony is, is that, and that now that, that's gone. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the irony is that the lockdown is actually what made internet art big. And uh, like, I really see that as one to one. The fact that everybody's locked at home and museums were closed that's what where people were like hey my viewing experience on the internet is a legitimate art experience it's not documentation which oh, we, yeah, i'm talking we, to people in tech like every day and they're like i want to buy your art it's digital <gasps> and like they're excited about that i'm like yeah no, actually, no, I but, made but that, really. that's what i mean like <laughs> I, I think it, yeah. it took a lockdown for us to acknowledge that the viewing experience at home is is a real experience and not documentation it's not secondary yeah. and for me the dream was always like be wherever you want but actually now we have a dog and our house is really nice now and you just end up leaving less and it's just that's the way and it, you know we were thinking of going to costa rica but it's so hard to plan anything like i wouldn't want to buy a ticket and it gets canceled and you lose the money and all this stuff no i know yeah, yeah. so so here we are back in the improvisational future right where i think you know we're open to new possibilities and I think that, again, so if we look forward at, like, you know, look back there, you know, what re- requires, like, a look forward to, do you have any expectations for next year? Do you think it's just, because I think when we started the year, um, and we started, we, I remember we had, like, an emergency NFT episode where we had, like, you know, various well, talks about March, remote so work. Yeah, yeah that, few, that was already a bit into the year, right? But I, and yeah, no, but then like, you know, we were talking about, you know, are people going to go back into the office? And I, yeah, you yeah. know, at first I speculated definitely they will because they're going to want to be around the leadership. By the way, leadership is meeting in the office and that continues to be a thing, but no one seems to care. <laughs> it's like, it's like, but yeah, let it, them it, like. Is it for you? Because are you part of leadership? Do you feel like you have to be in those meetings or are you? Um, like I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, I guess so. Like I'm not an executive anymore. Um, well, I never was, I was always like, uh, a senior, like they, there's usually different circles, like executive circles and there's like a senior leadership circle. So I'm still that, but I'm like, if, if you look at the solar system, like, you know, I'm one, I'm not, I'm part of the same galaxy, I guess, or same, <laughs> you know, like same, uh, same, same system, but I'm not in the inner ring. I'm like the next ring out. No. So but it's like you, you, a less politically hostile to, zone. How often do you go to the in-person meetings? Oh, yeah. So I'll go like once a week, Max. Yeah. So you have to put on pants once a week. 
Yeah, actually, and it was funny this week. I I went in and I I put on pants. I put on a shirt. I got to the office and like our founder was like saw me on a call and I'm like, oh, you're in the office. I want to see. You. And then I looked down and my shirt was like all dirty and it was like, <laughs> like stains on it. And I was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear. I don't even know how, like, because I just was so not used to inspecting my clothes. <laughs> Get well, up. I, I, I can tell you, embarrassing I can tell you this. This is maybe because clothing is, is a, it, it's like a canary in the coal mine or like a, it's it's a way of describing what's going on without, I, usually when I had a solo show, I would buy a new suit. That was kind of a ritual and mm. get excited. And then also, I, whenever I had a big sale or did really well, you treat yourself to something new, like, oh, maybe a really good quality shirt or suit or maybe some dress shoes or something. And then, of course, they had a spectacular year with NFT and did really well. And I kept going shopping with Christina. And then I would look at suits and be like, when am I ever going to wear this? Ever, ever, ever. Yeah. And, just, yeah. and, and it made me sad that... Uh, that there's not that moment of, of public celebration and in person. And it, it was specifically that thing, like the, the sort of the ritual of dressing up and that disappearing that made me really upset. And it, it keeps coming back. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like the idea it, of it, celebrating room, not just with yourself, but with like, others. Oh, we, yeah, the idea of rituals like a wedding or an opening or a high school uh, graduation or something that's worth getting out of your pajama pants and that disappearing that's kind of a bummer <laughs> i did go to a in-person party like a birthday party where someone rented a bar and there were like there were open hors d'oeuvres and an open bar like you know just a full buffet and um i could have any drink people were dancing and then like and then i was mingling and chatting with people and they're like i love to travel and i just got back from south africa <laughs> <laughs> then I immediately got extremely nervous. Uh, no one was wearing masks. I was yelling. Like <laughs> particles were flying everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But then I was like, "It's too late," and I was like, "I might as well just enjoy this." <laughs> like, yeah, it's the end of the world. It, uh, yeah, you're right. So, uh, uh, so I, in I that moment, time, even though yeah, I have a really hard time no, no, comprehending was, the risk of uh, being with other people. Well, it, that was the, what I'm saying is like, you know, what you just said, like, you, we don't get together. I, I, that, I did. And then I immediately kind of felt like, ooh, this isn't right. You know, like, and people were dancing, but I was, I was just self-conscious, you know, yeah. for a period of the time. Like yeah. I was relearning and also not quite certain it was safe. So I think probably yeah. a lot of people feel that way. <clears throat> and it well, wasn't like. was was definitely was, easier. Like you can meet outside and have drinks with people that feels completely comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. For yeah. sure. So I, I feel, you and I I feel were, like both we, you we, and I we don't get drunk, and I think a lot mm -hmm. of uh, the risk is really when people get drunk and start hugging and singing karaoke together, that kind of vibe. But I had a hug at work this week, like I just said, right? Like this this person wanted, and I was like actually totally cool with a hug. I, in fact, yeah. have you had a hug recently? Because the, what you were just saying about celebration, this hug. Um, Met, no. was actually like one of the highlights I mean, of my year my hugs come from christina <laughs> and the, the dog that's uh, where the hugging happens but when a stranger gives you like a it was a congratulations hug and it's more, i it, think it, a lot of times people want to shake my hand as sort of a statement like hey covid's over we can trust each other oh and, it's happening everywhere yeah and then i'm sure. kind of like i 
I do like the Japanese bow. Like the, there really is yeah. no reason for the handshake. You can be intimate without touching. Um, so. I've seen the handshake come back in a big way. And every time I see the palm of someone's hand, it's like I'm seeing like the nipple of a breast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> On a first date. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> did you mean to flash your palm that way? But I mean, I did, uh, I did have just, an opening yeah. in Amsterdam this year. And it was really nice to see everyone. And I don't think I shook hands. It was just, uh, and I did, I did wear a suit. I just didn't feel like, buying a new one for it because i feel like it wouldn't mm. have any other occasion well i think what happened here is like and let's not make this just of the covid covid lament but um like about a month ago it was pretty much over like we were out of lockdown so everything people were just trying out all of the old behaviors again right so yeah um and then of course we know what's happened in the last month uh, for future generations, this will be our last podcast. <laughs> it's like before the end of the world. Um, Do you really feel like but, negative about the future? No, no, no. I, I I think the cases are already kind of falling in South Africa again. And yeah. severe illness is like uh, pretty low, I think they're saying. I, I, I do um, feel like uh, it's just the nature of... Uh, seasonal, so it's colder, there's more flu, cold, so there's also more COVID. And then... There's a lot of holiday parties, so it seems obvious that there will be higher numbers now. Yeah. yeah. Like, sorry, rather, regardless of COVID, though, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. The Matrix Resurrection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the concept that, yeah, that, that we're now in this metaverse position culturally, and it's like already, def you know, people are already disappointed in it before it's arrived. And I'm really excited about that conceptually because yeah. I think it's hilarious. Um and I actually really am legitimately excited to see that movie. I don't know. Well, how so are you next feeling? year we're going to have to do movie reviews. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we have to talk about this movie. I mean, the, the Matrix. We, we, yeah, it, it, the Matrix to me is is a exceptional. How the first one was so amazing, and the part two and three were so cringe. Somehow. Yeah. I, I have to watch two and three again. I, get, I don't know how you feel about them. And I didn't realize the Wachowski brothers had become the Wachowski sisters, which oh, I'm yeah. also excited about. Yeah. And and I never realized that they taught at SAIC. And so I'm like reinvestigating because I was too young, I think, to know what was going on. Like, mm. so the resurrection is also like an opportunity for me to look back. And apparently like the early Matrix movies, I didn't I didn't read into it at all, but we're all about identity politics. Yeah. <laughs> Which is your worst nightmare, well, but I'm like to me, excited to, to reinvestigate the, it. The reading of the first Matrix was always about uh, being a leftist politically. Just really means you have to take out red a lot pill of fun or blue pill. Actually, no, did no, no, mean no. that. Yeah. No, no. Just let me. It, it to me it means uh, being leftist is about giving up comforts, and so that's like why they're in that shitty boat eating the protein porridge. Uh, because it, it feels like if you want to do everything ethically, a lot of fun stuff disappears from your life. And it, it just seems like that was what the movie was about. Like, Ooh. you want to drive a car, you want to go on vacation to Hawaii, you want to eat a steak, you want to uh, buy nice clothes. And all those things, when you really think about it, they're all evil. And that's really what mm -hmm. The Matrix is about. Like, all the... And, and so... That's the weird thing that I always struggle with, that rationally I know that a lot of niceties of life are unnecessary and therefore bad for this environment. Mm -hmm. uh, th like there's, no, there's no rational argument to say 
that was also kind of the premise of Fight Club. Like, oh, you should just have two outfits and they last the rest of your life. You don't need all these niceties. They're superficial. That's not what life is about. And they're just polluting and you shouldn't eat meat. And, and all this stuff is true. But also you want to live in the dream where you're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's just eat some sushi and enjoy it. I know this fish is dying, but it's yeah. delicious. Well, I feel like we're going to have to revisit the movie, you know, revisit this conversation after the movie comes out. That'll be like our first episode back. But I, I feel I, like we I, could I do think, a movie episode. Yeah, I think it, it aligns a lot with your personality because you suffer a lot more from guilt than I do, I think. I think I suffer from the opportunity to help others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but um, I think you also do enjoy a lot of niceties and then you want a new car, but then you tell yourself for 10 years you're not worthy. And, but then when you do get it, you're, you're super excited and happy. And yeah, you know that the funny thing about me buying that car, let's reflect because I bought that car a year ago. I, for, for our listeners, I own a Tesla Model Y. A, it went up in price by like 15 grand. And so the car is worth more than it was a year ago. Why is that? It, they just raised the price Two, there's like a shortage of cars because oh, yeah. of the, ch- you know, the supply chain stuff on on chips. Yeah. And so that also pushed the price up. So I could sell the car today for for, for way more than I bought it. And, yeah. and But the problem that it is that's not my problem. That sounds good, right? But now when I tell people that I like that, I'm if I pick them up in my car or they ask, oh, what do you drive? It seems like I'm even more of like some kind of baller rich douche <laughs> than before, even though the environmental cause is greater than ever that you should drive an electric car, right? Like but do, and do I was what I was afraid of when that? I bought it. Do, do people actually say, oh, Jeremy, I really don't like you anymore because you have money? No, no. But they're like, that's a flex or, you know, like, but, the, there's but, just like a, there's kind example. of a reaction. How much of that is in your head and how much of that is actual reality? Um, it'll, it, yeah, it's probably in my head. <laughs> this is what <laughs> but, I mean. Like it, 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 when NFT happened, uh, especially Foundation has this very upfront pricing. Like uh, some other websites like Artblocks, the pricing is more obscured. But yeah. the, you remember the beginning of foundations, like, whoa, $600,000 for Nyan Cat. Whoa. And, and it was like a game with a scoreboard, the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. And I was really afraid of people being mad at me f- because the money was so public. But actually, 99% of people were like, I'm so happy for you. Digital art is having its moment and you're inspiring people and blah, blah, blah. And, and then yeah. it, I had a big charity component with art blocks and that felt good. And, I was really worried about the negative side of people knowing the, uh, about money, and I haven't experienced it that much. It's true. I, like, if this time last year, if you're like, hey, Raphael, I predict that you're going to give, uh, ri- you know, ri- you're going to donate ri- the largest amount in history to Rhizome or something like yeah. that. We wouldn't have predicted that a year ago. No, no. Um, I, I had really given up on digital art, sort of. Like, I, I continued to make the works, but I had not been publishing them as websites anymore. Because it yeah. was just a lot of, it, it was a lot of work for not much uh, satisfaction. The satisfaction is in making the work and not in like registering the domain, setting up the system. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So I was just, I, I felt like I had made the statement of digital art being collectible. And I, I felt like it didn't need to continue. But mm-hmm. then NFT really was like, oh, there is something to this idea of digital ownership. And it is worth it. Well, yeah. yeah. This is also the year where, you know, for me, I'd been making augmented reality work for like 15 years. And suddenly this year, I would say more than any other year, 
maybe oh, yeah. a little bit last year, people were suddenly like, so you've been doing augmented reality for 20 years or whatever. And they're like, and they're like, it's the most exciting thing in the world. And Apple's coming out of the headset. And did you see Snap's new thing? And yeah, oh my yeah, God, yeah. filter Jeremy, dysmorphia. What, what do you and think like, of the future? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, where were you? Like I used to have to like, I would, I would perform or talk for like one person. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd fly to Belgium. This literally happened and to, to give a lecture and no one would be there. <laughs> so it'd be like... It was just a very weird in that sense but too. That th- there is a funny aspect of the the digital, the NFT and meta and metaverse and all that stuff coming up. And then there's been so many artists who've been doing that for 25 years. And of course, it's frustrating to see a commercial version of something you've been working on that's working better. Yeah. Um, so your your natural instinct is to say, "Hey, do you know about Jody or do you know about Jaron Lanier?" Yeah. He did a VR room in the 80s and et cetera. Yeah. But in a way, all those pioneers failed to really reach mass market. Is it because they were early? I don't look at it that way. No, no. But what I'm trying to say is, in general, in art history, legacy and seniority are very valuable. So when you say, oh, this, you should respect this artist because they were the first to use the porta pack or whatever. And now we're in this NFT world where it's like, who cares? This other person makes way cooler stuff. So I don't care if it's, uh, it's actually the opposite. It's like, oh, the fact that this person just started today and has a million followers is actually more impressive than someone who's been working as an academic artist for 40 years and nobody cares. Yeah, I was talking to um, a younger artist about this a couple of weeks ago, and I, they had no clue about It's similar to what you're talking about. Any of the previous history, I gave them a book on like, I give them the internet anthology book to take home with them. And they were legitimately curious and excited and interested because they were still looking for grounding. They still wanted to know like, oh, I'm part of something that exists beyond the bounds of my solipsistic point of view that might beyond my body and life. It's a, it's a fine line. I think it's a fine line of like, to me, the history of painting was always intimidating. It wasn't inspiring. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love paintings, but it just felt like everything has been tried. And a lot of contemporary painting shows I go, I'm like, oh, that looks like Alberto Burri. Oh, that looks like Fauvism. Uh, that looks like, like, I know sure. painting history too well. And when I started with the internet art, there, there was a lot of media art I didn't know. And I think that was a good thing. I just felt like, oh, this is a brand new space. And then now in retrospect, like oh, some of my work overlaps with classics of, screensavers or uh, earlier video art and basically the same idea and i didn't know yeah mm-hmm. yeah no i didn't I mean, even I, know I, solowit when i got started and like this whole idea of programmed abstraction and yeah i see yeah i mean and you need that naivete to try otherwise you know you're, so, yeah. you're kind of caught in that loop of um everything's been done there are yeah. no new ideas which is the yeah. postmodern position which um, kind but that's of a happened, very depressing place it, it feels like in rock music, a lot of people grow up and like you have to respect Led Zeppelin, you have to ex- respect Black Sabbath or whatever. And that rock music for that reason just kind of lost its energy. And it seems yeah. in rap music, people just make fun of the old stuff. It's like, what is this Run DMC? Get the fuck out of here. I mean, someone shared some VR work with me this week that they, they found inspiring, like by, a, by an artist. Um and it looked identical to work I was doing in the early 2000s. And I actually was, I wasn't disappointed by that, though. Like, I was like, I love that, those checkerboard patterns and those bright colors. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I used to have to defend <laughs> making well, those aesthetic that's, choices. That's interesting because so. it's, uh, it's almost like the material is, is uh, saying, this is what I want to happen. And, and so yeah. you, you start coding and you're like, oh, a Voronoi composition or these primary colors or the spiral and th these shapes come up and they just make a lot of sense when you're coding. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like next year and where, where the blockchain is headed for you anyway, because I know, you know, you started the year, you're like, it's all video. Then it was like, oh, Jeremy, it's like the algorithm on the chain. Uh, I was describing that to someone recently, by the way, and they're, they, it's still news to a lot of the world. Yeah. And then they, you know, I, I, what's the future like? Because Well, I, I thought about it a lot. It, it's a good question because it's, uh, in theory, the on-chain thing makes a lot of sense. And in practice, the videos make a lot of sense because they're so shareable and they're easy to install on a monitor on your wall. And often in exhibitions, I'll render a video because that's the, the most stable form and the best frame rate, all that stuff. So I, I feel like the best is a hybrid of both. So you would offer mm -hmm. the collector a video and, but it's really, it depends on the work. Each work is different. So I'm, I'm doing something on feral file in the spring and those will be code based because they looked really bad in video. The, the, the compression on those works just didn't work in video. But then I have a couple of, more graphic pieces with flat colors and they actually play way better as video than the code base. So I, they were just jittery. And so it's, it's really piece by piece that you have to decide. I, yeah. I, I mean, that, a video is a video is an algorithm. It's just not a, a no, well compressed one. Yeah. But for example, in theory, I think art blocks, it's all unchained. And so in theory, that's more pure to the medium, but mm -hmm. in practice, I find more personality in the works on foundation. Like I think, there's more idiosyncratic works that you're like, oh, this is a really weird person that picked up a computer. Because you're not so constrained by the form yeah, itself. Yeah, so it, it, I think there's no truth of like one single method being superior. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll send, I'll kind of twerp uh, or like chirp. That's the word chirp. I'm <laughs> twerp, no, no, chirp out the like, the, the other thing I'm hearing about people, and I don't think it's going to work, but everyone's like, it's geolocated AR <laughs> in the metaverse. Mm. Might as well make uh, and a once we have, yeah. once we have geolocation locks, you know, watch out because the you know the world's geography is up for sale. And you hear this like every few years. Um, it's like it's been a it's it's kind of a running gag or running joke in in AR. And at the back of my head, every time I hear it, I'm like, that sounds horrible. Now I have to travel to a specific location. It was funny too because. Snap just had their like lens fest where they talked to their you know creator community, and they're like, during you know we created all these geo specific events in specific locales all over the world, and then we realized no one can travel. <laughs> <laughs> so announcing today, you can create your own geospatial uh, locales, like so yeah. you can now tag within that's the Snap ecosystem. You can like, but the, they're, and they're that's like, kind of like the the Nintendo craze that game. What was it? Pokemon. Yeah. So now you can yeah. like scan an object in your neighborhood and then like add, add an artwork to the, you know, an effect to that. that well, it object. seems whenever so. you open up and allow people to add content to something, it, it's usually a good idea. Like when people can add their own lenses or people can tag their own restaurants, like yeah, that always seems like a good plan. 
Well, the meta layer of the metaverse, that is what you should expect then next year if you're bullish on it. It, it is now possible technically, so it's, it's rolling out massively across all of these platforms um, and people are developing on top of that. So the geolocation plus augmented reality wasn't was kind of possible. There was a thing called LAR like 10 years ago. But what's what's changed it is that LiDAR on phones means that you can fix geolocation to the actual geography, like the topology of the the site. Um, so you know that oh that's the that's the same building that the scan matches the geolocation. So there's enough data to, to put this thing on the wall. You know. So we've always talked about digital graffiti, uh, and it's time. I would one of my projections would be this year um, digital graffiti becomes a thing. At the same time, it's a bit of a joke because no one wants to leave their home, right? So uh, you know, it's know. In, in terms I, of convenience. I, I do see. A lot of people walking through New York with their phones and tagging stuff and taking selfies in front of certain restaurants or certain murals. So there you go. This will be it. This is how. But I, I mean, we're going to yeah. learn to explore the outdoors again somehow, and maybe it'll be yeah. technolog- technologically facilitated. I I hope that the, the 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 next year for NFT is just a lot of people trying stuff like new platforms, new methods. That maybe institutions trying stuff, maybe failing and maybe sometimes succeeding and artists doing stuff and I hopefully it's less about money and more about experimenting and like oh, yeah, ma- maybe sure. maybe the money will just not be as spectacular and so people will just do stuff more for fun and uh... here's a hot take because and I think we talked about this a few episodes back but you know you have you have Netflix and Apple TV and HBO all competing eventually like you know there's there are different ways that the platform wars can go in the NFT world where they need exclusives but I'm also sensing that artists really want to, you know, you don't really need any of these platforms to create an NFT because there's all of these, um, like Shopify is about to come out with the ability or they already have a beta so that anyone can just build their own NFT store. Yeah. So there's going to be some kind of like that. Yeah. Zora, that, I'm investigating that right now, too, because they there's an augmented reality layer to that. Yeah. But um, so I, I anticipate there's going to be some kind of we're going to have some episode where we talk about micro platforms or the idea of the yeah. artist owned platform of one um like why why should i trust anyone except myself <laughs> which is something well, that happened it's amazon I, versus shopify yeah. right I, I i do know both foundation and art blocks that sense of momentum and and support and uh, collaboration like in the art blocks discord there's a lot of tips and ideas and people will there will be common problems whether they're tax issues that you have to solve or community issues or technical issues and so that idea of being together is really helpful it's like hey that's a huge huge point like that that i think you just surfaced that has nothing to do with what happened like in the last year but has everything to do about the platform future which is all of the you just were like a product manager for a very brief moment i'd like to hire you (laughs) like you described like all of the other problems that are nece- that that artists have that are unsupported by these platforms, like the accounting, was one you experienced this year. I know, yeah. um, and no one, no one out there is like, "Hey, artists who made some money with NFTs, let us help you with your accounting." In fact, you know, there's, but well, that's not the only problem. Artblocks has been there's really good at, at setting up, uh, like, not Clubhouse, but Discord calls where they'll have a CPA and you can ask all kinds of questions, and then just feedback like. Hey, uh, like there's a chat group specifically for artists in the Netherlands 
and they're like, oh, what should we do about VAT? And then you share like, well, my accountant said this and oh, my accountant said that. And yeah, let's set up a call. And uh, so I, maybe what I'm trying to say is that Twitter is too big for, for that kind of, there's too much risk of trolling and, and weird energy. And these sort yeah. of intimate groups that are very specialized, I think are great. And so maybe those micro platforms will do that too. But I, I find the community that's, you just have the shared experience of publishing on the same platform that I don't know if you would have I, if you're all publishing uh, yeah. on a different platform. I, I think if you publish on a platform now, they're going to say, we're going to take care of all your accounting for you and you're going to be taken care of just like you would be but if then you, you were would give up for, a certain percentage. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's the future and it's long overdue that the art, that's actually what a gallery used to provide. So then, <laughs> and it's funny because they're time. like, okay, if yeah. you, it's, so the, the platform will say it's a 10% fee with no additional services, but you just publish your NFTs. But we'll do some PR for you, that's 7%. We'll do yeah. some healthcare and some taxes, that's another 12%. Uh, we'll do some photography and we'll also take your work to art fairs, that's another 14%. And you just end up at the 50%. Yeah, you got 50%. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but that's like the classic, um, you know, kind of way to wedge your way into a market and displace the incumbent. Like it's a disintermediating play that eventually re-intermediates. And um, that's what Amazon I don't did, see right? with, with sellers. They just kept upping the fees. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't do this or someone wouldn't do it because the artists still have this desire. The gallerists just started doing a really bad job of it. Um, but the, sorry, the, other, yeah. the other side of the argument is that the platforms are fighting for the good artists and that they'll actually compete on lowering fees. So Zora has 0% fees. Yeah. Uh, but they I did do I did zero percent fees with the artists that I worked with on my I mean feasibly it was just an artwork not a platform but at the same time um, I feel like I you, realized you sh I should, you should have had... do a, a a negative fee where you're like I will I did I will pay for I your did. work and I will I will take this whip and and beat myself on the back and scream that's what name. I did <laughs> so I paid people I bought them phones and then I helped them produce the work and then I gave them all of the sales of their work but I you know and I positioned it for me as learning like what do they need and what everything you've just, we've just been talking about is what I've learned like artists have a, like a whole bunch of needs that are completely like you know not satisfied the problem was there was no money but now there is money right so yeah. I just don't see why these platforms but wouldn't start to build service I still think the NFT culture is a. It, I think it really feels good for collectors to give money directly to the artist. I think uh, when they start to feel like, oh, it's becoming more corporate and streamlined, and yeah, and it's I, interesting. I, I think you know those weird amounts that you saw in the beginning of NFT. A lot of that is like, this is a really funny meme artist that never got paid. I have all this Ethereum because I got in early. Why not give them a hundred thousand bucks for their meme and? I can tell my That's friends really good point. Meme. And I think it feels was, really yeah. different when you're like half of it is going to Mark Zuckerberg. I think the pricing would be very different. It's very, but I, yeah. So I think it's just something we're going to watch and we'll probably talk about. And I think you're absolutely right. That's a really, really good point. And the amount of, I've seen people want to connect directly to the artist, um, including myself. And I'm like, no, no, look at these other artists. Um, I think is uh, is unique and something that would be hard. Yeah, you wouldn't level, you know, that would be an argument for people will build tools that artists will pay for, like Shopify is doing, and you'll build your own platform on top of it kind of thing. But those, yeah. those, you're, the artist is still going to pay somehow uh, because the artist 
like you just because I know what you need a little bit, right? Because you've called me and you've talked, you know, talked to me about things that you need. Yeah. I don't see why any of the companies uh, or someone out there wouldn't be like, hey, Raphael like needs my help. And he's like fishing around the internet for help. Um, I'll take like 1% of his. Well, 1% of is exchange. okay. But it, 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 yeah, the, the classic gallery model, I think, I, I do love the collaboration with galleries, but. Um, I, I'm not sure what's a fair percentage. I have no idea. It's it's just in general the the, the classic I, the classic well, we had visual. A, no, we had the, a product. The, the classic yeah. visual you see is like an artist in really old clothes, covered in paint, and like a broken house with all kinds of things leaking, and then you, the dealer arrives in a limo and is like, uh, yeah, and yeah. that's it's not often. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true. But it's like. No, yeah. I mean, I work, uh, we have a product at work, right? I work with entrepreneurs, so with thousands of entrepreneurs. And one of our products is for earlier stage entrepreneurs who need help and coaching and support, all the things we've been talking about. And we experimented with like taking 2% of their revenue as an example. But doesn't that sound hilarious, right? Like, yeah, it will offer you all the support you need to succeed for 2%, right? Because in the art world, you're like, so it was so skewed, 50%, like 50%. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's actually really hard to make um, a profit at 2%. I'll share like transparently. Uh, I won't give you the exact numbers, but it is very challenging. Well, software but that was also our first scales book. very differently. So you can't compare that to selling physical work that you have to go to art fairs and there's only a limited number of clients and it's just such a different game. Yeah, except that one thing I'll share with you that maybe our listeners don't know is that when you're starting a software company and you're building a software product, almost everyone does this thing called like a Wizard of Oz MVP where they start with humans uh, in the background. So you create like an interface and then behind the scenes there are like literal human beings running around like completing your request. And uh, like it'll be something like take a picture of your receipt and it's automatically converted yeah. into an expense. <laughs> yeah. And then behind the scenes we have like five people that are like, you know, we're just because we want to find out, like, would anyone do this? Yeah. yeah. And those five people are like, oh, I'll just transcribe. This will take me two seconds. And and on the other side, you're like, wow, that was magic. And you're like, yeah, human being. <laughs> the other side. But then it's but then eventually you replace it. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then that's when you write software. But yeah. software usually does not get written or it'd be very wasteful economically to write it before you have yeah, demand yeah. from an audience. So. But the, it, it, it's uh, I have to rephrase that the sort of this gallerist in the limo and the artist in a rainy leaking home mm -hmm. in my experience all the galleries i've worked with were not wealthy they were not people that no, came for money and and so they're very they're very passionate and they're not in it for the money and they're not swimming in money and they'll do anything for the business to keep it interesting and interesting art is more important than selling for high prices and all that stuff so this no, idea that, I of, think of, that's of a great David's point. Werner is is a certain caliber, and then there's the galleries for the rest of us. And, yeah. But the other good point in regards to that is that the galleries themselves actually are missing a support layer. Like they they you know, and the reason I, I bring this up is because I was involved with the Canadian government, where they were seeking to like help artists run centers and galleries more largely digitally transform. And I ran a conference a few years ago with galleries and the look of pain and anguish in people's eyes. It was, you know, similar to me having to shake the artists in Norway, but they did not want to confront the idea that like, you know, a digital future was going to make things worse before they got better. Right. 
And I think this is the challenge of, of any art gallery. Like you open a gallery in New York, you're narrowing your audience to the size of the city of New York, which before would have been like huge. It's a huge pool, right? They're like 20 million people right there. Like mm -hmm. do not open your gallery in Nebraska because you're yeah, cutting not just that any like, opportunity. These are all experts. Yeah. And, and you're surrounding yourself with the people that, you know, shoppers are coming to New York. That's why you would open a gallery in New York, right? But at a certain point where the world has become different globally and people are used to like buying a Tesla in their mobile phone, right? It's just a diff it's we're living in a different time in terms of like how people um, make decisions about what they like and don't like and where they want to put their money. And so and, and regardless of money, even where they put their attention, which we've talked about all year, right? We've talked about the attention economy throughout the year on this podcast. And so I think the attention, if we were to look forward on that, like next year, expect that even, you know, to be even more of a challenge, um, regardless of platform, we are still going to be uh, fighting for attention. And so the strategy is necessary. And we know this um, at work where I work at ClearCo, uh, digital marketing tools, like the ability to reach and understand a customer Though it sounds super sleazy, um, you know, this is the next, this is another war or another like battleground. I hate to use like, that's, why am I well, using that language? Whatever. Yeah. Like it's Apple a... locked down the phones to make Facebook advertising impossible this year. That had a no, huge no. impact on tons yeah. of, tons of small businesses. But it, speaking of the, the relationship between the gallery and the, and the artist, there is back to that personal collection connection. I think a lot of people follow artists and not galleries on social media. Mm -hmm. And so you get this yeah. weird, weird uh, imbalance where, of course, the, the gallery being at an art fair, there's a presence that you don't have as an artist, even if you're on social media. But when you're releasing a project online and the followership of the, the following of the artist is bigger than the gallery, then you that's a renegotiation. Yeah, I think all of the, so everything's back up in the air. But what I'm really excited about is that artists are now not waiting to, you know, they're picking up the phone and making the call themselves. So, um, you know, I hope that, you know, the same people who's who I saw like anguish in their eyes are feeling the same way. Pick up the phone, you know, start to make the call, participate, hashtag participate. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of things change. And, and it, that's just very exciting for me. There's been this uh, conditioning by the art world to say, it's classy as an artist to be quiet. So don't go on social media and just say stuff. Wait until Art Forum interviews you. That's when you start talking. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean. Like I'm talking about yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the top tier biennial type of artist. Uh, like Pierre Rigue is not going to go on Twitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like he's, but he's it's not going to go like, hey man, did you yeah. guys see Tiger King? That shit was crazy. Like he's not going to say that in public. And so yeah, but yeah, that's so old school. I think I know, personally. I know, but it's it's still there is a tear. We'll see if it survives. The whole moment, this whole moment to me feels like the the transition from classical music to pop music, and it, it was a, you know it took a long time to make that transition, but it was recorded music that sort of made the music of the people the dominant cultural. Mm -hmm. um, you know, opera still exists, but I don't think they have an impact on the culture. It, it, yeah, you know, but so, you're reminding me of like, whatever happened to like, what's going on with musicians? We have Taylor Swift who's well, re-recording all but, of her but, material, but right? Maybe back a little bit, like at the time, the opera was the most controlled and most skilled and highest form of music experience because you could 
say like, okay, we're going to make specific architecture that's good for this sound. We're going to make special seats. People are going to be dressed up. Uh, there's going to be a conductor. There's going to be a guild of musicians. They're going to train their whole life. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got this weird microphone that records into this uh, weird disc and it sounds terrible, but you can spread it around. And I mm -hmm. feel like NFTs are in this moment where they're like, it's not as immersive as the museum experience, but it can spread. And so I'm sure at the beginning of music recordings, people were like, the opera is so much better than this stupid black disc. Like, it, oh, right. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so people were probably poo-pooing it like, oh, this is low culture. This is not good, whatever. And, you know, things evolve. And finally, then the pop artists that make the recorded music actually make concerts at a scale that's bigger than an opera house that's in stadiums and that travels around and that i really feel like when you add distribution to something there's something you you lose some you know so, some things are compressed but you gain the spreading and there's no stopping it so i, yeah, I feel I like mean, museums like are economies just, of scale yeah i'm just saying you can museums, take a, a tiny museums unit. Yeah. are headed the way of the opera like it, it's it's the most controlled final uh, fancy experience but it, it's just something for old people and it's not oh i see i don't yeah i don't want to age it but like um i think you're right i brought up this guy david meggs that wrote a piece about you know is art a zoo or is it um a museum or what was the point like basically are, are artists animals in the zoo or are they out in the wild kind of thing right yeah yeah, think, yeah 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 are we trying to preserve I, I, the endangered species? I'm simplifying species, it. I, I think museums yeah. will have a place, especially if they embrace uh, the the new distributed culture. But yeah. I, I think the classic model of like the artist is in their studio and the, the work is not seen until it's in the exhibition. And then we only talk about it in a controlled environment with experts and only experts are allowed to have an opinion. I think that museums are just going to have to you know things are real this is i always felt that way sort of but this year is the year that i'm like oh yeah it's happening mm -hmm. yeah um it, it should but it does it does remind me though that i thought musicians were going to get in on things but i don't feel like they're in any better position today than they were like they're in a worse position than they ever were somehow um and they've been what, leaning what into distribution are you, heavily are you basing that statement on well, you have like Taylor Swift, who's having to re-record all her albums just to get ownership over them. Yeah, to... but then Dr. Dre is a billionaire because he sold headphones. Like no musician ever. Yeah, was but a that's billionaire. a minority. To your know, point earlier about the Zwerner of the world, right? Like yeah. it's still the the minority majority stake, and even that would be true of yourself versus other artists. Like ninety nine point nine percent of artists are still struggling to figure out how. No, to make a but living. I I find these statements a little bit difficult because it, the, the data is impossible to collect but it seems to me there are more people with a creative profession that can make a living than 50 years ago like mm. I, I know that at the time in, in let's say in the 50s 60s in New York there were like five galleries that mattered and like 12 collectors and they together decided what is art history and it, it was they were in full control it's like we're going to minimalism we're going to pop right it was art. so small it wasn't even an option yeah for anyone. and so Mm -hmm. And even those artists were starving. So I think right now it's easier than 60 years ago to make a living with a creative profession, whether you're a creator or a fine artist or an opera singer. I, it feels like the, the, the creative class has expanded. Even though there is a yeah. lot of struggle, I think the big picture is that 
a larger part of the population is dedicating their life to creativity and making a living. Yeah, I mean, about I think it was about five years ago, UNESCO came out, though, and said, and now this is prior to this discussion that we're having about this last year, that artists were the highest educated, poorest working class on the planet. Yeah. And so there is no group of workers that have more education for less income than artists, um, which is kind of, a, you know, because... W- you know, think about the people you know that are artists. They usually have at least one degree. You know, they're reading all the time. They're, ex- they're extremely intelligent people. Um, but they, it just doesn't convert that way. And in fact, conceptually, we it goes without saying almost, but I'll just say it. It would be an- antithetical to talk about money, right? Because it, it doesn't belong. It, it oh, spoils yeah. the conceptual yeah, yeah, and yeah. academic and the, and, and the people uh, that do best are the people who come from money, who have learned to just be quiet about money but have access to the right yeah the first 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 rule of like art club is we don't talk about uh money you know kind of thing and we don't and And somehow there's also a couple of people who magically always have enough money which happens to be from their family yeah that's the old trust fund i'm I'm above i'm above scarcity i don't talk about it yeah, but the actually for most artists listening, it's that you have a second income from somewhere else. Like that's yeah. true of most artists on the planet, and that's statistically true. I have the data if you want. I can share. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I've read it many times in different reports that are but published. It, it seems to me like uh, it's a dream job. It's something that people aspire to. It's not like collecting garbage. So mm-hmm. it, it's a dream job. So the more people succeed in it, the even more people will try. So the, it seems like it's an exponential thing where there's a core group that is thriving and that group is bigger than 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. And then the people around it who aspire to that is e- even bigger. So that to you me... You know what I'm so it, relieved it by, it though? Sense. Like, the bottom line, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I think for me, the, the good point is I don't have to worry about buying a TV at Best Buy before a crappy opening that no one's going to come to. And I'm so thankful that that era is over <laughs> um, because it didn't make sense to me. It never made sense to me. Like I was you always mean, like, you yeah, mean maybe showing, I... showing digital art in a gallery didn't make sense. Yeah, it never made sense to me. And so I'm really relieved that I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't waste even a moment like considering like, what does this mean to the white cubes? <laughs> like it, I don't really give a shit. Like uh, yeah. it doesn't matter. I still love doing exhibitions, but uh, don't get me wrong. It's. Yeah. It, but like when I would, whenever I had to like come up with a show, it was a special thing. I didn't do a very good job of it. I realized in retrospect because I never really enjoyed it. Um, maybe you did, but um, it like I was trying to translate digital ideas for. Yeah. But then it, I was talking to yeah. the, the show would, you did with the QR codes in the woven rugs. Yeah. Then it makes that sense. I had fun doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's. Maybe the same thing with the crypto. You do want to do something native to the medium and then you treat the exhibition also native to the medium. Yeah, but it required the pandemic for me to feel free enough to be like, yeah, it's a fucking QR code. That's what the internet <laughs> is like, get over it. You know, yeah. uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and make it into a lovely painting made by a robot for you. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a good that's spot. A, I think so. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Goodbye, Best Buy. Yeah. So when when are you leaving on your trip? Uh, I'm gonna come down on Wednesday to DC, um, oh, yeah. and then I'll be up there. I'll be in New York on the 30th. Uh, should we have any Good Point listeners that yeah. want to like look for a white Tesla streaming through the streets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll have time to do stuff. 
yeah, I'm excited to hang out. And yeah. uh, my brother also lives in New York. Going to see him, spend time with family. I, I I think you know this is a good year. Maybe is the final kind of point. And, 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 and do you uh, feel like uh, with the remote work thing that you would you are you interested in working from another place for half a year or that that sort of mobility thing? Uh, I'm biding my time because like halfway through the year, something significant, you know, might happen that gives me a great amount of freedom. So I want to wait oh, <laughs> to, to answer that like halfway through the year. Yeah. Um, but I think I think right now um, I'm happy. I'm productive. And uh, yeah, there's no I have there are no barriers. Kristen and I have talked about all kinds of scenarios. I think she's applying to jobs. So L.A. came up this week, oh, which I, I know it's like so cliche. Um because everyone apparently LA is extremely expensive. I don't know if you've heard that recently because so many people moved to LA in the pandemic. Um, and same probably never, with Miami. Yeah, I lived there in 2004. It's it's not my place. It doesn't feel like my place either, but I think it's we're going to go sub- to where It's like it's like the biggest suburb in the world. Yeah. Well, and just all I'm saying is it's time for me to support her career, so um Gonna, you know, I'm. I'll be excited when that happens. Yeah. So let's just wait until her okay. thesis is approved halfway through the year, and then I can, uh, we can go do the next chapter. Yeah. Um, so I will see you all soon. Happy holidays, everyone. I know yeah. we were Enjoy we're talking like hopefully about the year. Hopefully. It was a hard year for for all kinds of people. Um, and I'm not. Hopefully, we didn't make it sound like it was easy. Um, this next few months is going to well, be hard. It's going to require. I, it, I think for the world at large, it was tough. And for me, it, it was exhilarating. So it's it's uh, sometimes, you know, there's a disconnect, especially if you're locked in your bubble. And, it, you know, I haven't directly seen that much COVID problems, but I know there are in in, uh, in large numbers. It's just, for me, it's been a great year and, and nothing bad happened in my family. No one got seriously sick. So uh, yeah. it's been a great year. I did gain 10 pounds, so I, I just weighed myself. I've Ooh. really got to, like, figure that out. Um, maybe it's time to find... To, maybe my Peloton stock will be worth something. Well, definitely, uh, like, <laughs> the work-from-home thing with snacks in the fridge at any time, it's uh, not helpful. Yeah. No, I didn't even do that. It's just that I didn't move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think my I, I think my body finally reached a, a comfort with, like, not moving, which is No, I know. It's, it's... I really have to force myself... Oh, and, and, and it feels like if you go move and do stuff, it's like, ah, oh, I'm wasting time. I could be getting so much stuff done behind the computer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, what am I doing outside of my yeah. house? All right. Well, anyway, uh, enjoy the, the the holidays, everyone who's listening. Yeah. I, um, Happy New Year if we don't talk to you before the new year. But maybe we'll, who knows, maybe we'll squeeze in another episode. But uh, go watch The Matrix. Yeah, send some uh, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks When is, thanks when for is The Matrix coming out in the theaters? It's like December 23rd, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. I just well, think because we've mentioned it on the podcast like so yeah. many times. that we. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's everybody. cheesy, I know. Thank you. Bye. Bye.